Matthew 18, 15. Listen carefully to these words or look at them in your Bible and take them in. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Verily I say unto you, Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again I say unto you, That if two of you shall agree on earth, as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now we're going to look at this passage tonight and just look at several important lessons that Jesus gives us in this passage. I hope that you'll really pay attention. Um, You know, the Bible is very practical. The Bible gives us instructions about things that we ought to do. And I was in uh, Brother Wagner's class this morning studying through the book of Proverbs. I love the book of Proverbs. And he rightfully uh, mentioned that the first three chapters are, are basically talking about the importance of wisdom, how much we need wisdom. But from there on, it begins to become more practical, and these are the areas where you need wisdom. So here's a, you know, the Bible's very practical. And so we want to get some wisdom from God on some matters, and so let's ask His blessing. Father, please bless as we study tonight. Thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, thank you for your teaching. Thank you for your doctrine. Thank you for giving the word, but also having the word recorded and preserved, that we could have it before us tonight. And we thank you for that. We want to take it seriously. And so please speak to us through the Word of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Now, I said this this morning and kind of said it with tongue-in-cheek, kind of said it as a, uh, not a joke necessarily, that, that I'm going to preach tonight about a very important portion of Scripture whether all the Bible is important, right? But there's some places, and there are many, not just one or two or five or ten. Or, there are many places, but particularly where you just really need to get this. And that was true this morning about the parable of the sower. The same is true here. There's some important doctrines in this passage. And I want to just kind of hit on each one of them and then focus on one at the end. But the first thing has to do, the subject, the general subject we're reading about here, has to do with dealing with offenses. In verse 15, if your brother, if thy brother shall trespass against thee. What do you do when your brother trespasses against you? And it's talking about a a spiritual brother. It's not just your sibling. 
we're talking about your Christian brother. And what does it mean to trespass? It doesn't just mean that he lives in the neighborhood and he walks over on your property line. The word trespass is a common word, not, not always translated as trespass, sometimes translated as sin. It has to do with missing the mark or erring, having an error. If you're, so if your brother wrongs you, if he sins against you, that's what he's saying in verse 15, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, then what are you to do? If he does you wrong, and the Bible is very clear, you cannot miss this, very precise. Look in verse 15. Go and tell him his fault. If he's wrong, go and tell him where he's wrong. Between thee and him alone. You go to him personally, and you go to him privately. Right? You don't talk to somebody else about it. You don't tell your friends about it. You don't tell your friends to pray with you about it. You go to him, right? Go directly to him. Go personally, go privately. And what is the objective in verse 15? The objective is, it says, If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained thy brother. So you're going to him humbly with the objective of restoring him, right? Listen, if, if you're a Christian and I'm a Christian, we are part of the same family. We love each other. We're related to each other. If you do something wrong against me, my first reaction should not be to get back at you. It ought to be to help you. Because I care about you, right? And so you go to that person with the objective of trying to restore that person. It says, verse 15, if, you shall, if he hears you, you've gained your brother. You might, and a lot of times somebody hurts us, we don't want to gain our brother. We want to smear our brother, right? We don't, but we're, to, we're trying to win them. We're trying to help them. You know, I was thinking about the passage in Galatians 6, and you don't need to turn to it, but Galatians 6, 1 says, if you see a brother overtaken in a fault, in other words, he's struggling, Ye, this is what it says, ye which are spiritual, go to such a one in a spirit of meekness and try to restore him. It's interesting, that's a very interesting verse, because the word restore is a, is a wonderful word, because the word restore means to repair or fix something that's broken. So what do you do, Someone you see somebody that's struggling, you ought to go try to help them. And by the way, what they need is to help get through this or get their life back on track. They don't need sympathy. They, they, need, they need to see where they... And, and I'm not saying sympathy is always wrong, but people need help spiritually, real help spiritually. And so you go to help them. So, you, so this whole thing in verse 15 is trying to help them. To, and, and you know what you're going to do to help them? You're not going to say... You're not, you're not going to say... Um, I understand, you know, what you did was not important. No, you tell him his fault. Isn't that what it says? Tell him where he's wrong. Tell him his fault. You say, well, that he won't, what if he won't accept it? Then the Bible says he's a fool. A fool refuses instruction, right? If he won't accept instruction, if he won't, if he won't admit where he's wrong, but you're trying to help him. And if he accepts responsibility and says, I was wrong... 
you've gained your brother. But what if he won't listen? And by the way, sometimes they will. Right? Now, before we go on, it'd be good for every one of us to say, I'm going I'm to start living by this rule. Right here. If someone wrongs me, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to go to them personally and privately and try as best I know how by the grace of God to get this thing resolved. Right? But what if they don't? Then you tell all your friends. No. (laughs) What if they don't? Well, the Bible says in verse 16, if he will not hear thee, he will not accept responsibility. Then take with thee one or two more. That in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. Because we're going to really, we want to establish what's going on. Make another attempt. Don't give up on it. Make another attempt. Take somebody with you. Somebody, I've, I've done this numerous times with people. Take somebody with you. And what is the goal? The goal is reconciliation. But what if he doesn't accept that? Verse 17. And if he shall neglect to hear them, then you take it before the church. Because this is a serious issue. You've got a person who's in sin. At least it looks like he's in sin. He won't make it right. He won't, he won't admit responsibility. You take it before the church. That's, Jesus said this, by the way, right? Yeah. I didn't make this up. Jesus said it. But if he neglect to hear the church, what if he won't even listen to the church? Then the Bible says, Let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. That's not a republican, it's a publican. Treat him, treat him as he's a... You don't, you don't treat him the same after that. Right? Treat him like he's a Yankee. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you, what do you do? Listen, what is, the, what is the goal in all this? It's to help a person. And by the way, this would work for... This, this is for any Christian. Teenager, this is for you. If you have a Christian friend that's struggling, what should you do about it? You should talk to them personally. If they're living in sin, if, or if they've done something to wrong you, you shouldn't just bash them to your friends. You shouldn't badmouth them. To, you ought to go and talk to them. This is what Jesus said. And so you take the matter before the church. Now the word church... The Greek word is ekklesia. And I think most of our people should know this, but it's just worth mentioning from time to time. And the word ekklesia has a very definite definition. It means the church assembly. It means the assembly. The, take it to the assembly. This is what, what we're looking at here tonight is the assembly. The church. If he will not get it right with one person, he will not get it right with multiple witnesses, then, then take it before the church. And if he will not respond to that, The Bible says, don't continue to fellowship with them. Is that what it says? Let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. I have numerous friends, I think, casual friends, acquaintances. They're not saved. But I don't have the same kind of relationship with them that I have with children of God, with God's people, with church members. And a publican was a person who was looked down upon and and most people did not spend any time with them. Now, I'm going to leave this in a moment, but I just want to say this before I do. This is not the only teaching about this subject in the New Testament. For instance, 
in the book of Thessalonians, Paul, Paul said, if you've got people in the church that are not obeying the ordinances, the commands that we've instructed them, and specifically said, if you've got people in the church that uh, are not willing to work, they're, they're living disorderly, is what it says. They're living disorderly. Then he says, you ought to separate from them. But then he says this, you don't treat them as an enemy, but as a brother. You admonish them. The word admonish means that you try to help them. It just means you don't fellowship with them, but you're always there to try to help them spiritually. You know? So that's what, so that's what the Bible says here. If they won't respond, and, and what is that? What is that for a, if a, if a person is, is living in disobedience and they're, they're not willing to respond to correction and they won't listen uh, to personal admonition, they won't listen to the church, and the church says, look, you know, we've got to do something about this. What is that? It's a form of discipline is what it is. It's a form of correction, right? Wouldn't you call it that? I'd call it that. You know, uh, I mentioned the lesson Brother uh, Wagner was teaching this morning from Proverbs chapter 3, and it says, Despise not the chastening of the Lord, for whom the Father loveth, he chasteneth. You know, he, ch- he chastises us. He, he, he disciplines us. And so that's because he loves us. When you discipline your children, it's not because you're mad at them, it's because you love them. Love them enough to tell them the truth. Love them enough to give them instruction. Love them enough to restrict some of their activities and their friends because you love them. So, the, so in, this, in this context, the willful, deliberate offender who will not respond to attempts to reconcile should be, shouldn't be treated like everything's okay, Right? They shouldn't be treated like everything is okay. Now, I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Now, that's the teaching. But, but with that in mind, I want to just kind of segue into something that is clearly taught here. And this is a good example of it. And that is the accountability people have to the church. Would you agree with that? In the eyes of Jesus... Church members are accountable to the church, right? And, that, and that's, this is about the church, the church's relationship with one another and the church's... Uh, and by the way, again, what is the church? The church is not some kind of universal, invisible, mystical uh, people. The church is a local assembly of scripturally baptized believers, and these principles that Jesus is teaching here, could not, people say, well, I just believe in a universal church. How would you ever practice this in a universal church? How would you ever take a sinning believer before a universal church? Right? It's not practical and it's not doctrinal. It's not theologically correct. So what this, a church is a group of people who are committed to each other, They're co- they've made a covenant with each other, they believe in the same doctrine, it's assembly of believers, and by the way, membership matters, right? In the church of Jesus Christ, local assembly, membership is important. Hold, hold your finger right here and go to, go to the right to 1 Corinthians 12. I'm just going to read one verse and come right back to Matthew. 1 Corinthians 12. 
And this, this passage in 1 Corinthians 12, a lot of this chapter is dealing with the church body and our relationship to one another. But notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 18. I'll give you just a, another moment to find that. And this is what it says. But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. Now who is it that should be leading and guiding us when we make a decision to unite with a church body? It ought to be God's leading, right? God adds people to the body. We've had people recently join our church. We've had other people who've been visiting our church. I've had this conversation with every one of them. I'm not going to try to talk you into joining our church. If God wants you here, God can show you that. We want you to be where God wants you to be. Right? The Lord, look what he says. God sets the members, everyone in the body. Okay, just think, bear with me for one moment. What if the body was a universal, invisible body? That people became a member of that body the moment they got saved. That, by the way, that's what some people believe, right? The moment they get saved, they're spiritually baptized into an invisible body of believers. If that's true, it's not true. But if that were true, this verse that says God sets the members in the bodies that pleased Him means some people God wants to be saved and some people God doesn't want to be saved. You'd have to be a Calvinist to believe that, right? The church in the New Testament is a local assembly. And God puts people, God puts people in the assembly that he wants them to be in. And, uh, and, these, and so membership is important, right? And these, by the way, these things are taught throughout the New Testament, not just one place. So this is the church. Jesus is talking here about matters related to the church. And, and by the way, just for the record, in case someone ever runs across somebody that says... That the church began on the day of Pentecost? That's not true. Because right here, the church is already in existence. The church was started during Jesus' earthly ministry. And it's already in existence. And the church, when a person is sinned, a person has to be dealt with because of their sin, someone ought to go to them. More than one person can go to them. But the church has the final place to appeal according to this teaching of Jesus. And so we're seeing about, we're talking about the place of the church in the New Testament. One other thing that's really worth mentioning in this passage, and like I told you, it's a very important passage. Look in verse 20. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now, let's just think about it. What is the context of what we're talking about? Is it talking about a couple of people out on a creek bank? You know, God's... You hear people say all kinds of stuff. We were out there on the 13th hole and, uh, and talking about the things of God, and we just had church. <laughs> well, you may have had a meeting, or you may have had something, but you didn't have church. This is the body, the, the body of Christ assembling together. You know, a lot of error could be corrected if people had just read their Bible. And think about what the Bible says. And so here, Jesus says, when the church assembles, like we're doing right now, there will I be in the midst of them. 
And he's talking about the assembly of a congregation. Verse 20 says, where two or three are gathered together in my name. Doesn't have to be a large assembly, but it has to be the assembly. Jesus said he'd be there. You say, well, I don't understand that. Well, I, I, I don't know if I'd explain it to help you understand it, but just think about this. God, according to the Bible, God is everywhere. Right? He's everywhere at the same time. You can't go anywhere he's not. But he also, God is present in heaven in a special way. Wouldn't you agree with that? But also, he indwells every believer. Right? God is everywhere. God is in heaven in a special way. His presence is there. God indwells every believer. Right? And God has promised a measure of his presence in the assembly when they join together like this. That's the Bible, right? His, he said, I'll be there. And we ought to be concerned that he's here. Amen? He manifests himself in a special way in the church assembly. Now, all of this is in this passage. And now I skipped over verse 18, but I want to go back to that. And that's what we'll spend our remaining two hours on. Matthew 18, 18. Verily I say unto you. Now, he's talking about dealing with this person who would not respond to numerous appeals to acknowledge their sin and get their heart right. Verse 18, Verily I say unto you, Who's he speaking to? The church. Whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Now that's an interesting phrase. He said to the church, Whatever you... Bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now there he's talking about the authority the church has to make decisions. The church has that authority to make decisions. Make decisions about this person who had been, who'd wronged somebody and was not willing to make it right. So what does it mean to bind or loose? Binding and loosing has to do with declaring what is right or what is wrong. Binding and loosing has to do what is permitted and what is prohibited. The church has that authority. Are y'all with me so far? It's just the Bible. The church has that authority. It, and Jesus said, if the church binds something, in other words, if the church restricts something, then heaven stands behind that decision. Right? Whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. If the church permits something, heaven recognizes that. Now, I know that in the context, it has to do with this matter of discipline. But look in verse 18 and look at, notice the word, whatsoever. Verily I say unto you, whatsoever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever you shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So whatsoever means whatsoever, right? If the church were to say, let me just go ahead and say this. I was going to say it later, I'll say it now. There are obviously restrictions upon that. For instance, if the church were to say, you know, we're going to, we're just going to decide we're never going to meet again. (laughs) Well, that's violating the Bible, right? Right? Absolutely. 
So I don't think, I don't think heaven stands behind decisions we make that would violate or contradict or disobey the Bible. God's already said things about this. But whether you ever realize it or not, there are a whole lot of things that we decide about that aren't clearly marked in the Bible. Right? For instance, years ago, a lot of years ago, back in 1982, 81 or 82, I talked to our church because God had been dealing with my heart about something. I talked to our church about Starting a Christian school. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt have a Christian school. But the Bible does say some things about education though, doesn't it? And, and I think the Bible clearly uh, teaches that we should not subject our children to humanistic education. But that could be homeschooling, could be Christian school, various things. So, the, so I would, wouldn't come to the church and say, I, would just, I read something today I never read before. God said thou shalt have a Christian academy. I didn't do that. But I said, here's some reasons I believe God's dealing with my heart about it. And the church decided to have a Christian school, right? That's a long time ago. Now, that's something that God, it's not clearly said in the Bible, but the church decided to do it. And the Bible says, whatever you bind on earth to be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth to be loosed in heaven. I'm just saying it gives, the church has a lot of responsibility. The church has, and you know, and this, go, this flies in the face of people thinking, well, I'm going to go to church, but I, I'm going I'm to be a maverick, you know. I'm not going to go along with the crowd. I'm not, I, what, what they think or do doesn't matter to me. That, that is absolutely contradictory to anything you'll find in the New Testament. It is. So, These matters ought to be really prayed about. Look in verse 19. Again, I say unto you. Again, I say unto you. Just he keeps adding and adding layer upon layer of what he's teaching them. That if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done of them of my Father which is in heaven. Now, I don't think people, I'm not criticizing or saying people are always wrong and say this. But but I've heard this so many times of people say, would you agree with me about this? This, this? Would you pray a prayer of agreement with me? You know, like, like that's what that verse is teaching. That's not what that verse is teaching. That verse is teaching in the context of the church. The church making decisions. The church exercising its God-given authority to make decisions, to bind and to loose. In that context, he says, If you can agree on earth as touching anything, they'll ask, it'll be done of my Father which is in heaven. These things ought to be prayed over. These matters, these decisions ought to be prayed over. By the way, if you like words... Let me just tell you an interesting word there in verse um, 19. That if any two of you shall agree. Now that's a great word, agree. But if you were to look that word up in a Bible concordance or Bible study, Bible definition. The Greek word that that word agree comes from is, is, I'm going to say it like it's pronounced. Like I would pronounce it looking at it, it's symphonio. But it's where we get our, let me, let me say it, pronounce it a different way. Symphony. What does that sound like? Symphony, y'all are wrong. No. <laughs> That's exactly, it's where we get our word symphony. If you can agree, what is a, sym- what is a symphony? A symphony is a lot of instruments 
a lot of different instruments in harmony with each other. If, you, if any of you can agree like a symphony, whatever you can agree about, God says He's going to, he's going to back that up. And this is how a church should function. And I, I, that's why I said earlier, I just think this is so important, that we're to be in one accord. That we're to, and if, you, if you're sitting here tonight, or if anybody was sitting here tonight, or anybody's listening to this sermon online that couldn't make it tonight, and you say, well, that's not me. I'm just not in agreement. I'm just not in accord. I'm not in harmony. You know, the church, the church wants to do this. I just think I want to do this. I don't care what the church thinks. If that's what you think, then you ought to be a Christian enough to look at yourself in a mirror and say, buddy, you're wrong. Your attitude is wrong and you need to get your heart right because this is what, this is what Jesus said. I'll take what Jesus said, right? Jesus said that we ought to try to restore each other. Jesus said we ought to go the extra mile to restore each other. Jesus said there may be times when you have to exercise discipline. But Jesus said when the church has made this a matter of prayer that, Jesus, that God will stand behind the decision of the church. I find that fascinating. When, when the church is in agreement, God blesses it. Um. The, the church is a body. The church is a unit. The church is a team. It's not just a group of, of uh, individuals who meet together just on an occasional basis, but really we just, we go by the, we go all go different directions. No, that's not what a church is, not according to what I understand about the Bible. Church members should be involved. Church members should contribute. Church members should cooperate. Church members should respect the decisions of the church. And the idea, as I said earlier, that it's okay for members sort of be isolated or mavericks is not taught in the New Testament. You know what a maverick is? I use that term sometimes. I looked it up in a dictionary to see if I had it. Was, and it is. It's a good word. It means... Uh, unorthodox or independent-minded. And that's really, you know, and again, there are limitations. The church doesn't have the, the ability to violate doctrine or violate clear teachings of the Scripture. And um, we know that. We understand that. I'll give, you, I'll give you a practical example, another practical example. Uh, later on, after that decision the church made, I began to talk to the church, some of you remember this, about our relationship to the Southern Baptist Convention, right? Some of y'all remember that. And I didn't have a Bible verse that says, thou shalt not be a member of the Southern Baptist Convention. I didn't have that. But there were things that were going on and principles that we were violating. We were giving our money to the missions program, going to Baptist universities where people openly did not believe the Bible, did not believe the, the creation record of Genesis. They did not believe the, the literal interpretation of Scripture. And we just, we just finally said, we can't, it's, it's not right for us to contribute to that, right? So we, we talked to the church, and more than one time, we talked to the church a lot of times about it, and finally we just decided that we were going to go a different direction. And, and we did. And... Um, and I believe God has blessed that. We did the right thing. But it was the church's decision. 
It wasn't my decision, it was the church's decision. What if the church were to say, what if we were to, we're not doing this by the way, or at least not that I know of. But what if we were to say, you know, it'd be really a lot better for us to meet on Thursday night than Wednesday night. And we were to get together as church, we look at the pros and cons, and we said, you know, as a church, we're going to do that. God would honor that. The church, had, the church has been given authority, responsibility from God Himself to make decisions. Now, everybody may not agree with those decisions, but the church would decide, right? Everybody in our family may not always agree on every decision we make, but the family makes the decision, and, it, and we stand by that. We, we work for that. You know, so I, I'll give you another example. Many years ago, our church decided... Um, to change the way we were supporting world missions. We had been giving a percentage of our tithes and offerings to missions. And I talked to the church about it and taught some about a concept of giving in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, grace giving. It was clearly taught, this, this concept of laying aside, giving above your tithes and offerings, giving systematically and uh, to special needs. And, and, and I said, this is a biblical pattern of giving to something other than your regular tithes and offerings. And we decided as a church to start using that form of what is sometimes called faith promise giving for our church. The church decided to do that. And everybody may not have agreed with it. Some people may not agree with it now, but the church decided to do that. We have that right, by the way. Jesus gave us. Jesus, the Bible doesn't tell us every single thing that we're supposed to do and how we're to do it. But if the church decides to do it, then God, if God said, I'll go along with it, then I think we ought to go along with it. Doesn't that make sense to you? It does to me. And we ought, they ought to be prayerful decisions. And um, so... I say all this tonight because periodically through the year, I want to bring a message that is related to our theme. I love our theme, charting our course, about planning and preparing for the journey ahead. And, and I just, the churches, you say, well, why do you even think about this? Because churches all over our country are making drastic changes. And some of them are not bad changes. Some of them are good changes, right? Change is not bad always, right? I mean, changing your socks every month or two is a good thing. Change is not, change is not always bad. But some changes are not good. And I think a church ought to think about, you know, why do we do what we do? What would we like to do differently? As a church, are there things we could do to improve our ministry? Are there things we could do to reach more people? And I don't mean change our doctrine, but there are things that contribute, and all this has to do with this matter of binding and loosing to me. There are things that contribute, I believe, to the spiritual strength of a church. First and foremost, I think their doctrine, they ought to have the right doctrine. Second of all, I think they ought to have the right mission and purpose. We're not just here to feed ourselves. We're here to be fed so we can reach other people with the gospel. We're not just a social club. We ought to come here to get ministered to and to get help 
and to be and to be loved and but we but we need to think about why why what is our bigger purpose and that is to help other people that contributes to our strength now, another thing that contributes to our strength is the unity of the church i mean a church if a church is not in one accord if a church a church members are not committed to and contributing to the vision of the body they're not going to be as effective as they could be there's power in unity there's power in synergy Synergy being people working together. We just had this lesson by Jesus in Mark chapter 3 where it talked about a kingdom that is divided cannot stand. Division weakens. It weakens. And yet, I don't think this would apply to anybody here. I hope it doesn't. But I, in my reading, and I read a little bit, right? I see more and more people who are advocating that it's just spiritual to always be kicking against the establishment, always be, you know, wanting to change things. I, and I don't, I don't, I'm not against change, but that's not necessarily spiritual. Matter of fact, I'll give you a verse to think about. It's in the book of Titus, and it says, A heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject. Now, what's a heretic? We often think a heretic is a person who has false doctrine. It could, that could be a heretic. But the, the words that dis, define synonyms of the word heretic are schismatic. They're divisive. And he says people who are divisive after one or two admonitions reject them. That's what the Bible says. I'm just saying this, this idea of I think we ought to, you know, it's just, it's, it's just my way it's, and, and that's just how I am. No, we're a body. You know, what if I get up, what if I got to get up in the morning and get busy about my day and my foot, a member of my body says, I ain't going. I said, okay, then you don't want to go. I'll just sit here all day. No, I'd say, get your lazy toes up. We got work to do. The body, it's not just about one member. It's about the body and the body has authority. The body has responsibility. Do you see all that in the scripture? If a, and it's, it stems off of this teaching about restoring a sinning brother. But it's done in the context of the church because the church has been given that responsibility, that authority. And he goes on to say, whatever you, to the church, whatever you bind on earth to be bound in heaven. You pray about it. You make the best decision you know how. And God says, I'll stand by that. That's a, that says a lot to me. And so with that in mind, I'm thinking, you know, we ought, to, we ought to think about as a church, you know, and I'm not asking for any decisions. I'm just saying we ought to be praying about it. Think, what do we want our church to be in the future? Our church has been greatly blessed in spite of the man who leads you. We have been greatly blessed. But we have so much room to grow, so many areas to grow in, in our prayer lives. And I don't just mean praying for our individual lives, praying for one another, interceding. I think there's such power in corporate prayer. There's so much we can, and, and our missionary work, reach, re, reaching people with the gospel, and, and influencing our own community with our witness here in this community. This community desperately needs a consistent, powerful witness of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't mean just St. Clair, I mean this region needs it. 
There's so much, and you know what, as a church, that, ought, that should not be the vision of one or two or ten people. That ought to be the burden of our church. Right? Reach as many people as we can. So, as we think about charting our course, we'll be thinking about where, where do we want our church to be in, in ten years? And this whole, this whole deal we're doing right now, trying to pay off our debt, that's a part of it. To eliminate that indebtedness. Because we want to be debt free. That's, that's a, a, an intentional step based on what we're talking about tonight. And, the, and, I, and I know that everybody may not be on board financially. I wish everybody was on board financially. But, it's, but, it's, but I believe God blesses it. And I didn't even come up with it. One of the reasons I love it, I didn't come up with the idea. But I believe the church as a whole agrees with it. Let's do this. Let's do what we can, week by week, to chisel away at that principle until we can just say, free at last. Right? And it's the church. It's not me, it's the church doing that. Amen. I, I love the institution of the church. I love the teaching about the church. And... The stuff I'm teaching you, I did not learn for a long time. But I'll tell you, it's in the Bible. Amen. My pastor, my, my first pastor never taught me these things. And my second pastor taught me some of it, but not as much. But I believe it strongly. Amen.